Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I've got Scott Burns. I imagine a lot of you don't know Scott, so let me just tell you a little bit about Scott and a little bit about our relationship and why I have him on the program today. We have been working with Scott's team for several years now. I want to think like four or five years, a long time, and we have seen them go through tremendous change in their organization. We've seen them acquire other companies and integrate and switch marketing automation systems. We've seen them grow their department from a pretty good-sized handful of folks to a much larger team, uh, restructuring of the organization at a high level. And uh, Scott, in his role, has taken on more and more responsibility, which we'll get to. Um, If you were to meet Scott and you were to think to yourself, what does the head of marketing operations at CenturyLink uh, look like act like, be like, um, you might not expect what you meet from Scott. At least that was my feeling the first time. CenturyLink, I think, is the third largest telecommunications company in the United States, big company, and Scott is just really a down-to-earth guy. He's a, he's a guy's guy, and we've had a great time getting together in Colorado. We've certainly spent a lot of time at the various marketing conferences together and had a lot of good one-on-one conversations. And I just love his transparency and his coaching to me and to our organization and how much he is just a sponge for taking in ideas. Um, he's not just a guy who is you know, doing what others are doing. He is a champion of change, an agent of change, and certainly a lot of the work that I'm doing on my new book features what's happening, what Scott's doing in the background, along with other agents of change. And what I mean by that is he's an innovator. He is, you know, takes a look at data and takes a look at marketing operations and turns data into insights and really sees what marketing operations in today's day and age, should look like and act like and has built that within his organization. So I'm really excited to have him on the program and have him share with you some of the changes that he's been bringing about and how he's navigated those. So without further ado, Scott, thanks for joining me. How are you? Dave, thank you very much. That's quite the introduction. Uh, I'm not sure it was all that well-deserved, but I think uh, you, you hit the pedigree pretty well. Well, you know, you are a very humble guy. I think that's the point. Like, super approachable, super down-to-earth, um, someone you'd want to go skiing with, hiking with, fishing with, uh, and I just I, I value our conversation. So I'm not, I know you're not going to pound your chest, so I want to make sure everybody listening just knew how talented and capable you are. And thanks again for joining me on the program. Can we start with... Um, the role of marketing operations, because you've certainly seen your role evolve, you personally, your role and responsibilities, but maybe talking about the team. So roll back the clock to kind of closer to when you got there and how have things changed um, over time? And maybe to just put those into some buckets, let's talk about change around technology and change around your team and change around a lot of the tactics. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, actually, this has been a really, really interesting journey over the past, uh, I'll say it's probably since seven years. And so just to give you a little bit of background of who I am, I was a marketing guy by trade, went to school for marketing, you know, grew up in advertising, um, and then suddenly became a data guy and then got pigeonholed as a data person and then eventually evolved over to marketing operations. But one of the keys that we've found or that I found throughout my career is 
being able to tie everything back to data, use data to be able to drive um, your decision-making process to actually create a marketing function as more of a profit and value center um, is really kind of one of the critical points of how do you become successful in this new age of technology. So, you know, roll the clock back, uh, call it seven years. Um, really where we started with is they, I ended up with an empty server and a couple of guys in India um, that basically said, go build us a BI platform. Um, kind of funny that they did that because they had no idea I knew how, but uh, just so happens that, you know, in some cases in your life, you fake it till you make it, and it, it turned out pretty well for us. Um, but so we started off with just building the overall uh, database infrastructure that was going to be able to feed um, the overall engine, create yeah. a perpetual demand creation environment. Um, but the key was, is you know, we've had massive amounts of mergers and acquisitions over the past 10 years, um, actually even 20 years, anywhere. Anyone that works in telco uh, just knows kind of what a mess the space is. But For no sure. one ever wants to invest in taking all that back in infrastructure and putting it um, putting it in a cohesive manner. So what you end up with is um, there's a, a person on my team named Kate that she always says, I'm going to use duct tape, two socks, and a parrot to be able to put all this <laughs> stuff together. And so we end up having to try to hodgepodge all these back-end systems so we know something about our customers. So the first thing was, why don't we go ahead and build out a view of, or a 360 view of our customers so we know when to talk to them, why to talk to them, um, and, and actually try to get some data sciences uh, enabling so that we're talking to them about the right things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as we thought about that, that was the beginning of marketing ops is just knowing who your customer is. Um, then it started to evolve and all these technologies popped up where we're, we're saying, okay, well, we can automate the actual interaction with customers and we can turn uh, their interactions and reactions into reasons to continue that conversation and actually build this overall idea of a dialogue with a customer as opposed to a promotional touch point, which that's what marketing you know, tr traditionally was in the past. And so what we found we had to do as we looked at that is um, not only did we have to build technical acumen in marketing, um, which actually creates a lot of really good partnerships and relationships, whether it be with your finance guys, with your IT guys, with your um, customer experience organizations, et cetera. But all of a sudden, we became more of an enabler. Um, and because we could talk tech and because we knew how to connect things, um, that made us really palatable from all these other organizations wanting to be able to drive things throughout the organization. But the flip side of that is we also had to maintain this idea of the business knowledge base. How do we translate all that technology into something that's going to matter for a customer and for a business? So, you know, Every organization today is going through this concept of digital transformation. And, you know, as the world becomes much more digitally interconnected, um, your stacks have to be the same, have the same interconnection points. So it's really about balancing this, uh, this idea of you've got to be technical, but you also have to be able to tie that to the business. And anyone who knows trying to find talent that do those two things, um, it's a challenge uh, to, to keep um, nurture and maintain that talent within your organization. So from a marketing ops standpoint, you're, you're, it's not just about data anymore. It's not just about automation, automating your touch points. Um, it's about actually creating a dialogue um, and utilizing technology to do that in the most efficient way possible. So, you know, effectively the marketing ops function is to create value and profit centers, to be growth drivers, yeah. um, to be a change agent for the business overall, but also be fully accountable for what the outcomes are. Um, and that, that's where your infrastructure has to really manage all of those components. So a couple questions for you. When you, when you think about your role and responsibility, you, you don't have to think about 
I want to make sure people understand, you don't think about demand generation programs. You're not thinking about content. You're not thinking about the next great campaign or program to generate demand. But you are thinking about the infrastructure and the enablement and the data and the insights uh, for that. Seven years ago, how large roughly was your marketing operations uh, team compared to how it is today? Yeah, I think we started with about four. um, And I think based off of um, recent acquisitions and current reorg environment, uh, which never ends in telco, um, we're we're almost at seventy, mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't include the SDRs. So there's there's another thirty or forty uh, folks that work in our kind of lead qual telequal environment, which is amazing, right? When you think about an organization where when you started you had around four people, and now seven years later, seventy um, ish people, and that wasn't even I don't think at your peak. Um, you've had to navigate a lot of change and restructuring in the org. And one of the things that I'm covering in the book is around organizational change. And, and you know, there's no light that goes on when you walk into the office that says, you know, it's reorg day, and this is what the structure should look like. So how have you navigated the changes to your organization? Like if you're giving advice, how do you know when to like take someone and make them a specialist? versus keeping some generalist aspect? Because when you're four people or seven people, you're generalist. And when you're 70 people, you've got a lot more specialization. So what's some advice you have there? Well, I think there's a couple of things you have to look at. So, you know, the first thing, when when I looked at over the marketing campaigns and whenever we go out and we have conversations about organizational redesign, uh, the biggest thing is, is everything's got to be tied to revenue. And if you turn yourself into a profit center versus a cost center, um, when it comes time to reallocate resources, when it comes time to grow the team, when people are making decisions about um, where do we put um, warm, healthy bodies to be able to get all the work done, um, they're going to gravitate towards the things that are actually going to make money, can show a clean return, and, and you're able to connect all those dots to say, you give me one more dollar, I'm going to produce this for you. Um, so that's that's one of the first big uh, pieces of advice that I would give um, to anyone that's in marketing or marketing operations is, is you have to be a profit center. Um, if you're not, then you're, you're basically going to be shrinking, not growing. Um, the second piece of this is um, we, we really have to get to a point where we are being much more proactive about the conversations with our customers, and therefore there's a technology component that goes along with that that not every single senior leader always understands. So a lot of what we do in marketing ops around analytics, for example, is all descriptive and diagnostic. We've got to get past that, and we've got to get to more of predictive and pervasive so that we're really looking at how are we driving the market rather than how are we reacting to what the market wants. Um, and that's really an important distinction is if you can display that vision as you go through these reorganizational designs, um, you know, everybody likes to talk about creative this and we're going to do these new campaigns. But at the end of the day, the more you can get, um, whether it be programmatic or whether it be um, just a, a full lifecycle ecosystem where you've got touch points in play that automatically happen and it improves the overall lives and the communication and the relationship with the customer, um, those are the pieces that make people listen, um, and those are the pieces that are saying, now that's really innovative, and I could be having five million conversations at the same time, and I can do it with three people based off the technology stack that we've built, um, versus you know we could be setting up 35 campaigns, all of which kind of hit the mark. Um, and the idea is, is that we want to have that decision tree messaging platform that just the machine works and, and it becomes very predictable revenue. And so as soon as you can get to that, 
those reorg conversations are actually very easy, and that's how this organization has continued to grow over time. Because um, there's always new technologies that we want to invest in. There's, you know, as as you get into the world of AI and machine learning, um, which we're just scratching the surface on. But it's very important to know what those capabilities are um, and to be able to do those things at scale. Um, and if you can show that that idea of um, profitable and profitable revenue that you know effectively is predictable every single month, and you can start to talk to your sales leaders about exactly how much of your quota retirement I'm going to deliver for you this month based off of the quality and the, the volume of top of the funnel leads that come through. Um, it becomes a very easy conversation to, to talk through reorgs, um, to talk through uh, engine growth, et cetera, because it's all talking about how much more money I'm going to make you. You said earlier, right when we kicked off, that you know, folks came to you and said, hey, I need you to build me a BI platform, BI tool. And I'm curious to kind of profile you and your mindset when a project of that scale and magnitude comes in? Because I have seen what you built, and basically what you built, you could you could almost productize and sell that. I mean, it's, you know, it's very tailored, of course, to your business and to your needs, but you addressed the BI aspects of, of marketing in a very... Um, in a great way from an infrastructure perspective as well as the UI, your reports and your dashboards and your insights, right? Because as you said, you got to make this a profit center and not a cost center. And the only way to actually do that is A, B1, and then uh, B, I almost said C. And then B, um, you know, show that you're actually driving revenue and what marketing is is contributing to the business. But the question I have for you is like, that's a big project. That's a big ask. So how, what happens in Scott's mind? Tell me a story. When someone comes to you like that, what you're starting to think about, what it takes to get there, and maybe some, some challenges if you had any along the way. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a fair amount of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that. And, you know, from a vision standpoint, when you, when you start off with that whole I'm going to boil the ocean concept, um, it, it becomes really, really hard to palate. And more importantly, the people that are actually trying to get the work done for you, uh, they, they can get lost in that really, really quickly when you so, – so, one, you have to really, you know, be able to break down your vision into achievable goals over time, um, and you have to over-communicate because um, that's, the, that's the hardest thing. So, the, the first thing that we had to do when we were looking at setting up this infrastructure is you're in a marketing organization, you know, in a lot of marketing organizations, IT has a bad name. To a certain extent, you're building some semblance of a shadow IT organization, and we could talk about a little bit more about how we made that work in in a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. with with IT. Uh, but you know, the the key was is marketing is a very fast paced organization. You can't wait in a waterfall, you know development approach to say, I'm going to do a release every quarter, and then I'm going to provide some incremental value, and it goes into a black box, and then, you know, you get to return. So the first thing we had to look at was, how, how do we create this nimbleness um, in terms of what we deliver in an IT-like environment with, you know, a lot of that, uh, what I would say is back-end infrastructure um, and rigor around testing and QA, make sure you're delivering a quality product, but 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 not feel like it's so cumbersome with process like all other things ITR. So the you know the first thing that we said was I want a mix between agile and scrum. So all my projects should take about two weeks to deliver, um, but I want to do releases every single day. So every day I should be able to provide some level of incremental value back to the business. And when you chunk things up into those smaller piece parts, mm-hmm. um, we you know basically created this idea of hey I want to what do I want to know about my customer? These are the 18 dimensions. 
Um, you know, and, and effect, and that could be anywhere from where does your customer live to what products and services you could deliver to them. And in a telco environment, it's all very important of where the where the pipes and the wires are, et cetera, in terms of what you can actually deliver. Uh, but you know, the idea was is make it very palatable, like break it down into easy chunks, and then make sure that the organization itself understands and realizes your value when you're in this overall build mode. So. You know, the way that we really thought about it is I started with, okay, what are we going to do with this and created this strategic hypothesis around just lifecycle marketing. So we want to build foundational infrastructure, have some tools that sit over the top of it um, that, you know, create better targeting, frontline visibility, and, and ultimately get to that idea of predicted outcomes. Um, and then, you know, as your capability improves, you, you add on to that to very eventually get to more of this omni-channel interactions environment. But the key was is we broke it down into five different phases. So you start off with you know, just your infrastructure focus, your basic capabilities. What data do you need to know? What do you need to compile? And then you said, okay, well, how is that going to impact what we do in market? So phase two was how do I translate those BI insights into standalone touch points, really simple data. Most of the execution at that point was really ad hoc. And then you start building in tools to say, okay, well, I want to build out a basic multi-channel approach. I want to do some predictive model integration. Um, and I want to create some idea of touchpoint automation and sequencing. So therefore, all of a sudden, I'm talking to, okay, I, I need a much more robust solution from a marketing automation platform. This is also about the time that we started bringing you guys in to say, okay, I need someone to help me strategically think about this um, at, at a different level because, you know, all of my people with my four or five people I had at the time were really just focused on the work. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually, you know, you, you kind of graduate up that stack and to say, okay, you know, phase four, phase five are around integrated contacts across all media. And then you get into the overall optimization, lifecycle journey mapping, budget rationalization. So the idea was to break it up into phases that people could actually understand that were palatable to not only the resources that we had, but also the, um, the capabilities that we needed to deliver to the organization. So it was about, um, you know, quick delivery, consistent delivery, um, continuous delivery so that people always found value in what we were delivering. And then when you break things down to those types of phases as to what are the capabilities and what do you want to do, um, it's very easy, again, even going back to that you know, organizational management conversation, you go to your leadership and say, okay, we're here, we've built all of this for you, we're getting this type of benefit, we can translate that into revenue. Next, next layer up is if you want to get here, you have to invest more. Um, and, you know, there's a business case that goes along with that that allows you to actually translate that into what does that next level up actually return for you? Yeah. Well, I, you know, as, as people are listening to you, I hope what they're hearing is like for a lot of folks, I don't think it sounds like their typical marketing department. Right. And um, you're running this group like like you said, a shadow IT group. You're you're running it like a software development team. And you know, the roles that you have, let's even talk about project management. Like I imagine who, who is doing the project management of these initiatives um, as you guys are rolling out these, these sprints uh, and development cycles? Like who, is there one person dedicated to doing that or is that uh, being supported by you or a couple folks? It depends upon the uh, the actual application that we're, that we're deploying, but um, I do have a workflow admin team as well as they um, gather and produce all the requirements, um, translate those into functional specs so that 
uh, we, we end up with the outcomes that we want. Yeah. Um, and then we have more working level people that are working on those technologies as they get deployed. But I mean, I, one of the things that's, that's kind of interesting is one of my big clients in terms of the overall BI infrastructure that we have as a shared service is, is the frontline sales folks. Um, and so there's, you know, there's a few requirements of those guys that one, we have to reduce the amount of admin that we put in front of them. Like I can't make them go through five steps just so I can measure my campaigns. I've got to figure out how to do all that tagging, et cetera, in the background. Um, so it makes it easy for them. Two, they, it has to feel like it's native within the tools that they're in every single day. If I have too many swivel chairs, we're just reducing overall productivity in the sales force. Mm-hmm. Three, um, it has to be meaningful to them in terms of can they take action off, off of it. So if you, can't, if you can't take action off of the insights that we're driving, why build it? Um, but so one of the things that we started to do um, as, as I was looking at staffing and as I expanded my organization, um, I actually went out into the sales channel and I looked for people that had project manage- management experience but were also like account coordinators. So they understand the inner workings of how salespeople interact with not only customers but also our internal systems and um, how do you find opportunities or you know where are the gaps relative to that. So I ended up hiring people out of the channel to actually run that, I would call that interface role, as well as that project management role. Um, right now, I've got about three of those folks um, on the team um, that, that manage various different projects, usually the larger ones. Um, but they also, it, it you know, kind of warms my heart the day that you know, I hire them and they say, are you sure you want me for this role? You guys are like a data shop. You do all this technology. You know, I, I'm not really sure how I fit in. I was like, don't worry, you'll fit in. Um, and then, you know, three months down the road, I hear them having a conversation about, hey, the, the API connector from this system to this system needs to call these two other fields, et cetera. It's like, it's like you know, ding, 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 the light just went off or, or went on. Um, and we just created somebody that, you know, a, a new type of function, a new type of role, somebody that understands the inner workings of what it means to be a salesperson, but at the same time has enough technical knowledge to be dangerous. Um, and those are some of the hybrid roles that we've started to create, but they also know where all the bodies are buried, and they also have good relationships so that when we try to roll things out, we try to train them. Um, these people are also doing that rollout and that training. So we've got a bunch of friendlies out in the field that say, okay, how did I get you know, 90, you know, 80 90% red rates on every single lead that I push over to sales? Uh, because we train them, because we know them, because we, we hired people that think like they do. Yeah. Um, and also we put the blood, sweat, and tears into I went – you know, at the early days when we were trying to just establish sales motion and lead flow, went to every single new hire training class and presented it myself. Wow. And the, the folks on your team, you know, a lot of people come to me and they'll say, Scott, uh, like it's a new CMO. And when I say a new CMO, the person reaching out to me is a CMO of some organization that they're now at. They've been a CMO before, often. And they're reaching out to me and they say, you know, I need to go ha- hire a head of demand generation. And then I'll follow on that question with, and who's going to run marketing operations? And they'll say, this person. And I'll say, are they going to oversee it or are you asking them to actually run it as well? And it's often the run it as well. And, and certainly in a smaller organization. And I'll say, you know, that might work if you're a really small company. But if you're, you know, a marketing team of, of really even, I would say, 15 or more people, stop thinking about this unicorn that is really good at demand generation and programs as well as being able to, you know, handle the true science and technology side of, um, 
marketing operations. And I'm wondering, you know, you and Kate, who I adore, just, I mean, you guys can finish each other's sentences, work incredibly well together as, as your marketing operations manager. I mean, how, what, what advice would you have for someone who's building out their team and trying to figure out when to put a Scott and a Kate and, and a team into place and really separate that um, more from the, 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 the art of marketing, if you will, the demand gen programs? Yeah, there, the the first thing, that Dave, I would say is don't try to make it somebody's honeymooning job or, or evening job. Um, and that's that's a lot of times when you have smaller organizations coming up. They just don't have time to think through the vision. They don't necessarily have time to think through, okay, how do we gather requirements to know exactly what we want to go do, and therefore that's going to dictate um, what kind of investments we need to make, what, you know, what kind of tools that we need to put in play. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, if you if you do this where you don't have a focused visionary effort against it, you end up with a hodgepodge of tools and none of which talk to get to one another, and, yeah. and therefore you just miss the boat on this whole idea of digital transformation and being able to use that to to engage with your customers. So I, that that's the first piece of advice is 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 don't use it as an afterthought. Like actually say we're, we're if we're going to invest in it, we're going to put the we're going to put some people in place that that actually have a vision. Secondarily to that, um, you know, these roles, I mean, the, the, the roles that I have, you mentioned Kate, um, you know, she started off just building in, in Marketo, for example, and, and building out the programs. Um, and now she's got a team of, I think, 12 or 10, 10 or 12 um, that basically she doesn't really even go into the solution and build very often, but she had that baseline knowledge. She built that up. Um, and so we have to think about this as expect these roles to evolve Find people that you think can can not only excel at the heads down day to day job, but also can grow into um, you know effective managers that can manage large volumes of work. And a lot of that depends upon you know do you go with a centralized, decentralized, hub and spoke model, depending upon how complex your organization is in terms of actually delivery on a platform um, or execution on a platform. But you know you you have to make sure you have you hire people with enough intellectual curiosity. Um, and enough drive that not only are they going to be heads down building, but as fast as these things start to get traction, they've got to be able to elevate themselves up to more of a management level role because you, you're going to very quickly find yourself with more work than you have people to do. So, um, you know, and, and it's kind of interesting. I, I typically don't hire people with actual marketing automation experience whenever we hire. Um, we look for people that understand the concepts of it, that, you know, you might give them a little bit of test in the first interview and they, they either do or don't know. And then if you get, if they get to a second one, um, if they've done their homework, you know, they have that intellectual curiosity. So, I mean, I've, I've hired lawyers. Um, Kate has a biology degree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's, uh, you know, you find talent in interesting places, but it's about that intellectual curiosity and it's about, um, having you know the the right mix of technical versus business acumen put together to be able to drive because if you just have a whole bunch of heads down um, people that don't think through what they're doing, um, you don't necessarily get the full benefit of all the tools that are out there and the analytics that come along with being in that digital space. Yeah, well, let's talk about tools. Um, by the way, if you don't know Scott, think about uh, connecting with him on LinkedIn. Scott Burns, B E R N S. And Kate, who we're talking about, is Kate's got a branding issue. She's she's Kate uh, Federer, which is F E D E R H A R, um, but she also goes by Kate Sindrick. So you might find her uh, 
C-I-N-D-R-I-C. Uh, these two, you know, them and their team have been finalists for Marketing Team of the Year. Uh, Kate was up for Marketer of the Year, and they have, uh, they've been the winner of the Transformation Award. These are all Revy Awards. And so, you know, these guys know what they're doing. Um, they didn't, right? As Scott said, you know, you got to fake it till you make it, and you learn, and we all learn together. Our team has learned a ton by working with them and, and vice versa. Um, I want to talk about MarTech, Scott, because you mentioned Marketo, and you also, you know, you're responsible for the whole tech stack. Um, for years, it's been the shiny new toy syndrome, right? We've, uh, it's like Toys R Us. By the way, Father's Day, I drove past Toys R Us, Segway, uh, off, off topic, and it's closed, and it was like 60% off, and it was so sad because here it was Father's Day weekend. I used to take my daughters to Toys R Us and just do a little you know, shopping spree on the weekend, meaning here's $10, find something to play with, and we would you know, play with the cars and the aisles and that type of stuff. So sad, but it was, you know, it was a world of opportunity for kids. Like, oh my God, there's everything here. And I think for a while, MarTech um, has been feeling like that. And now this past, I would say, year, two years, marketers have learned quite a bit more around responsibility and governments, governance for their purchasing behaviors and decisions. So um, what advice do you have or some stories about how to buy? You know, priorities certainly need to lead investments. That's a no-brainer. But you guys have a pretty big stack if you want to talk about the tools that are in there. But um, what advice would you have for someone who's, you know, looking to either grow their stack or rethink about whether it's time to sunset and unplug some tools. What's what's maybe table stakes today? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that I would strongly suggest as you look at your overall stack. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Toys R Us because I've actually made that reference multiple times to my team. I mean, you've got what five thousand vendors on the Chief Martech technology landscape landscape, and it's you. Know, interestingly enough, we're going through a reorganization right now, and we've been going through a vendor and and. Uh, stack consolidation or tool consolidation um, exercise. And you actually don't even realize how much you have until you go do that inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of people, you know, there's such a thing as one of, one of my hopes is to win a stacky award at some point, just to, the best representation of what your overall stack looks like. Um, but it, it kind of goes with the territory. How big is your stack? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a, a good reference or not, but uh, the, the, key that, the key there is, for, you you got to know what you have, and you got to know how much of it is redundant. Um, are you utilizing or overutilizing or underutilizing? I.e., are you you know maxing out on on the capability of the certain components? Um, you know, do you have a platform or do you have a mindset for doing testing and experimentation? Are you building out this culture of hey, I want to try to plug in something new every single year to see if, if that will work better um, than this other thing or, you know, et cetera. And that's kind of how we got into conversational AI over email with the Conversic platform, uh, for example. Um, and then, you, you know, as you look at that, you're also trying to solve for this idea of, you know, creating better relationships with, you know, either functional or supply, you know, functional suppliers or just vendors. Um, but one of my key things as I think about Stack is, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm picking someone and, and picking a tool set that has room to evolve yeah. um, and the organization is open to that. Um, so that's, that's one of the key things. So we may end up going with a smaller player and, you know, sometimes people are scratching their heads like, well, that doesn't have all the capability. I said, yeah, but I'm going to be able to get this vendor to customize to what my needs are. That's a, that's a great point. 
I uh, I have some blog posts about you know buying Martech, and one of the things I talk about is the benefits just that about buying from smaller vendors. They're more nimble. They're more responsive to your needs. You know, their V2 is going to be your product um, versus someone else's product. You know, that that type of that's a great point. I'll let you keep going. Yeah. So I mean, and and I mean the other the other component of of buying tech um, is that it, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, there there will be things that you buy that just don't pan out, but that's why you create this experimental culture. And and you mentioned it early on is. I try to build my team and run my team much more like a software development organization. And these are just like, you know, individual components. Um, I'm a huge horror movie fan and I, I make my wife slog through a horror movie every single um, night, the month of October. Um, but one of my favorites is like the, the fly from 1984, the John Classic. Carpenter movie. Yeah, but, um, you know, he's basically like, Hey, I, you know, Jeff Goldblum is like, I don't really know how all these individual components work. I just put them together. I'm an assembler. So, you know, to a certain extent, that's what we're doing is we're assembling a whole set of tools that are going to allow us to, you know, teleport from one pod to another, or hopefully, you know, generate 10 times more revenue based off of the way that we're doing things. So that's the whole idea of, you know, when, when you think about tech is it's got to be integrated. You've got to be able to actually see what those interactions are, and you've got to know how that's supposed to work with the rest of the stack. If it can't do those things, then it's tech that I probably don't need. The other piece of it is, is depending upon how organizations are structured, you know, you work with a lot of much smaller organizations than what our organization is, but we've got problems where, you know, there's, there's people from all over the company buying certain pieces of tech and none of it integrates. And then therefore they're like, well, why can't I get any results? Um, it's like, because you don't, it, it's not talking to anything else. And in, in fact, we're probably confusing the marketplace when we do those things. So, you know, to, so it's gotta be, it, it's gotta be integrated or, or integratable. It's gotta feel native to the end users that are actually using it. Um, you know, you've got to have some ongoing testing environments. You've got to make sure you're monitoring what your, what your utilization of those overall platforms are. Um, what's the worst thing you can do is sign a big contract and then only use like 30% of it. Yeah. Um, you got to try to reduce, uh, uh redundant spending. Um, and you know, if you start putting all those things together, um, you know, what you really do is you start to get rid of this idea of leaky institutional memory. So if everyone's working off the same stack, like, everyone's getting new ideas and everyone's actually generating um, that level up, that change agent mentality around we're going to get better with everything that we do rather than just, you know, throw it out the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. So when you, when you talk about tech itself, um, the way that, you know, we're kind of thinking about it is, okay, what are your big media vehicles that, that you need to be driving? And you prioritize based off of what you think the return on investment is going to be because you can't buy everything. But, you know, we have a lot of large, very large customers, so ABM is important to us. Um, you know, we want to be doing a lot of more um, programmatic search and, and really get the scale that you get from digital ad placement. So DMP is pretty important. Um, you want to be able to do some real-time personalization on the web so you don't have a whole bunch of static pages sitting out there and it's a much more customized experiment experience. Um, you know, there's email automation, which is, you know, the fundamentals of working with like a Marketo, for example. But then we wanted to say, well, how do we take um, that to the next level and make it look, act and feel more like it's not a program, but it's coming from a person. And that's where we instituted some conversational AI over email, which has actually been really successful for us um, and, and quite inexpensive. So the return on marketing investment is pretty high there. 
Um, how does that all interact with your CRM? You know, so th- th- and you know, I, I didn't mention social, but that's obviously also a, a big component. Um, and now we're starting to get into this idea of you know, how do you create? How do you look at data as an asset as well as part of your overall tech stack? So. Yeah. Um, third-party intent assets, um, you know, anything you're buying from a, you know, third-party or second-party basis. Um, but again, you have to make sure that it can connect to your first-party data or what's the point, um, if, especially in like a telco environment where everything is dependent upon what you can service at a given location. So um, th- those are some of the, the key things that I would say are, are big on stack. But the other piece that I would say is you have to also make sure that you've got the know-how to use those elements in-house. Yeah, um, I've seen so many times where you know we hire um, we hire someone to come run an ABM platform, and quite frankly, it's just a big black box where you know you look at your media spend on ABM, and you're like, okay, it's 1.5 million, and then it's like, okay, of these 750 accounts that I'm targeting, what really happened? And no one can really tell you. Um, it's like, oh, we got this many impressions, and oh, okay, big deal. Like, did did the actual value of the accounts go up over time? Um, so, you know, you have to make sure that you know what's happening in those platforms in house to even know what it is your how your your utilization rates are. Right. The other piece that I would say, um, and just one more I'll throw out there is, I am a huge proponent of these are the tools that you have figure out how to make them work for you based off of what the objectives of the business are. And my, my team always laughs at me because, I, you know, I think I, I'm really excited about Sales Engage coming out from um, Marketo because we're, we're going to be one of their beta customers and, you know, we're doing our best to break that thing right now with the integration of Tout App. But the, the, you know, the big components of that is we broke MSI like 15 times over and actually ended up building our own sequencing capability off of the MSI platform. Hmm. Um, because it was something that we needed. Um, and were there vendors or things that we could go out there, or other, other providers that we could utilize to go do that? Absolutely. Um, but did they integrate with our stack the way that it needed to so that I could keep a master activity log of all interactions? No, it didn't really. So it was easier for us to build it and maintain that master activity log um, ideology um, than it was for us to figure out how to integrate somebody else's tool. So we, we try to break stuff all the time and basically – what I give my team is, here's your tool set, break it, build it, you know, turn it upside down, but the, the, these are the tools that you have to use, and you take requirements in from the rest of the organization as to what we want to go accomplish, and we always have a few pet projects that I kind of want to play with, and, and go deploy across that overall tech stack, but don't overbuy just because someone's got a shiny object that says, hey, we can do this, um, because literally you end up with too much to manage at that point. And you also have to manage the size of your team. Yeah. We're really fortunate that, you know, we have customers that range from, you know, the earliest of adopters to, I wouldn't say any of our clients are laggards or they wouldn't have, you know, digital. Um, So clearly they're not there, but there are different clients who pick up these tool sets. And we've been, you know, ever since Marketo has been expanding their platform going back 10 years now, we've been right alongside them to keep learning the different functionality and either introducing it to our clients or our clients saying, hey, I'm just about to license this. Will you help me on my journey? And, you know, we'll ramp up our team. And so we learn what works, what doesn't, um, you know, how to get the fastest path to ROI and some really incredible lessons that have nothing to do with the technology whatsoever, but that have everything to do with process and resources, right? So we've seen people, you know, one one company buy a tool and have enormous success with it, and another company fail. And the company that normally fails with the tool 
if the tool is a, is a viable platform is because they didn't tie it to a company initiative. So it never got any focus, like you said. And then they didn't commit the resource, the total cost of ownership of having someone be the administrator or just at least responsible for the platform. And the ones that we've seen, you know, just really suffer big time and, and they're expensive are the sales enablement tools because marketing will see these and go, wow, this will fuse sales and marketing closer together. Or maybe, you know, the SDR team is connected. But if there's no training and ongoing, you know, coaching and enablement and use and adoption strategy, then a lot of money's spent and then the tool has no success and fingers start pointing and then marketers become you know, more and more gun shy to make that next uh, investment. So there were some things that I wanted to come back to that, that you shared, Scott. You know, one of the things is about, you know, priorities. And so we put together a framework uh, for our clients, uh, which I'm happy to share, which is called the Demand Factory Framework. And it's a metaphor. And we named it ACME uh, so that it represents the four disciplines of marketing. A for acquiring net new leads. C for converting them to customers, M for measurement, which Scott, as you can tell, is very passionate about, and E for expansion, customer loyalty. Again, another um, huge opportunity for CenturyLink. So you've got these four areas, acquisition, conversion, measurement, and expansion. And what we do with our clients is say, you know, let's, let's check where you are. On a scale of zero to five, five being you're just mastering it, you're just crushing it. You don't almost need to do anything in this area. It's, it's, you've got it dialed in. No one's ever five, right? But that's what five is. And then zero is, oh my God, we're nowhere and we need to get somewhere. So where do you need to get to? And that's when we say over the next 12 months, where you're one and you want to go to four, where is that? Or two to three or zero to three. And then invest in resources and technology to push yourself in a level of competency in those areas. So that, as you said, the investments are tied to areas that you need to build out and get stronger using this this metaphor. And you brought up a couple other important points, which is the tools have been changing. If you bought a ad, well, let's say you bought an intent technology for doing X, Y, or Z, and now another one of your vendors has OEM'd or incorporated that technology, do you still need it? You know, and, and um, the Venn diagrams of different MarTech solutions are overlapping more and more. So knowing as capabilities are getting enhanced, what you can sunset or shift your focus to is absolutely critical. And we've seen more on that in the last probably year and a half, two years, than almost any other year. The, the, the tools became, or the tech became tools and the tools became part of platforms and it's been changing a lot. And you got to sunset stuff. Like you said, you got to be willing to admit, I'm not going to say failure, but just it's not needed anymore. It didn't work. And you have to be willing to incubate things and try things. And during that incubation process, maybe it doesn't work. And that's why you can pilot some technology with a, a smaller group before you roll it out to the whole company. A any other advice, Scott, in terms of buying, deploying, planning, sunsetting, migrating? I mean, you've done it all. Any other uh, advice you'd give to your former self, giving to the listeners um, that they can pick up on? Yeah, the only other thing I would add, is I, I think we've done uh, probably three or four um, actual marketing automation systems conversions um, or consolidations over the past um, five years. So um, we're, we're getting pretty good at it. Is that, that you have to really assess what do you need? Um, and, and when I say what do you need, when you, when you start thinking about moving content and um, what do you need to save? Um, the reality is, is 
people's behaviors are changing so fast and there's so much information out there. Like you may have to look at some stuff and say, Hey, if it's more than six months old, I just don't care. Um, and that's really hard for a lot of people because, Hey, this is my baby. I built this whole thing. Um, and, and now somebody wants to migrate it over this other tool. I think we need to save everything. Well, I mean, we've gotten to the point where we typically, when we're doing one of those migrations, we, we pop the hood, look inside and you've helped us with, you know, several of these, but Almost seventy percent of what's there, we just don't move, yeah. don't migrate, um, and and quite frankly, just say, okay, we're kind of a new company. We've got some new capabilities. The message changing slightly. Um, let's go with the net new. Um, so don't don't be afraid to to throw some bathwater out. Uh, make sure the baby doesn't go with it. But um, you know, at the, from from a just knowledge base of having done that multiple times. The the other piece of it is is there's actually most of this tech and implementation. Um, there are best practices, but there's no right or wrong way to do this. And quite frankly, from you know talking to a bunch of other folks that are kind of in the same space as we are in terms of um, overall technology adoption, we've all kind of gone a different path to, to implement each you know several of the different components of the tools that that we put into the overall stack. Um, there's not really a right or wrong way to do it. What the, the idea is is you have to make sure that your implementation matches what you what you expect to get out of it which also means that you need to be able to define it. And if you can't do that, you probably shouldn't buy it. That's great advice. We've had, uh, as you said, we've done tons of migrations over the past 11 years, moving people from one marketing automation system to another or back, um, integrated. You know, sale, We did Salesforce's deployment of marketing automation years ago. They had six instances of Salesforce that we had to integrate to and you know, massive projects like that. And uh, we've had people migrate where they've had thousands of landing pages with distinct forms. And we've said, hey, listen, you're not getting traffic to all these pages. You're not even getting form submits on all these pages. If we rebuild all of this, you're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money. And I'm not sure what you get for it at the end. And some of those conversations have led to, let's even revisit how you're collecting data and maybe move away from 2,000 landing pages and go to a resource hub where people can register once and an all-you-can-eat type of model. And just, you know, sometimes migrations are a chance to uplift uh, your approach and your technology, and they're, they're, they're good things to do, and you guys have navigated certainly a bunch. Well, Scott, I appreciate your time. I know you have other things to get to. Um, so thankful. Thank you so much for working with our team over the years and giving us a chance to learn so many lessons uh, from your leadership and pushing us and, and doing some really incredible things together. Um, I encouraged everybody to connect with you earlier. I hope you didn't mind that. Of course you don't, because that's uh, who you are. But I always think that, you know none of us are smarter than all of us. And so the more people that are connected on LinkedIn that share similar passions and similar ideas, and we can network and, and share those. So encourage you to connect again with Scott Burns at CenturyLink if you haven't done so while listening to the episode. Scott, anything we missed? Yeah, I'll, I'll just close with a couple of things if, if, if I've got two minutes here. But, um, you know, just because it's marketing doesn't mean you can't be technical. Um, and, and, you know, you should be thinking about the fact that technical resources in marketing actually bridge the gap to some of the areas of the business that we might not have had the best relationships with. I mean, i.e. finance, IT, et cetera. Two, tie revenue to everything. Um, I think that's kind of table stakes at this point, but it, it wasn't always when we first started this process. Um, dream big, break stuff, but don't go over-purchase, right? So that, that goes back to the idea of why don't we um, set, identify the set of tools and say, okay, these are your tools you work with. Team, go figure out how to make them work. But that also gets them out of their comfort zone and, and makes them think about how to be innovative with the tools that we have. 
Um, building predictable outcomes is really, really important. And then the, the last point is really your roadmap and timeline will change. It, it, it's an ever-evolving process to, to, to go through this journey of actually getting set up um, within marketing operations, marketing automation, um, the digital transformation space, and let tech evolve to help you. Um, so don't, don't get stuck in, in one place saying, this is what my tech stack looks like, because there's always something new out there and something cool. Um, and, and quite frankly, that, that keeps your team energized. Um, it keeps your approach fresh. And, and don't, be, don't hesitate to try new things, but try them in a very reasonable manner. Great advice. I love it. Thank you for wrapping up the program, Scott. Uh, give my best to Kate and the team. And that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Um, if you guys haven't hit the subscribe button yet and whatever app you're using, click that so you get notified of every new episode, which I do put out a new episode every single week, normally on Sunday mornings, unless it's a holiday. And then I think, hey, you're not going to probably listen to that. So I'll push it out on Monday. But every Sunday we put out a new episode and I've got people like Scott on from you know the practitioner side. I've had some CEOs lately go back and listen to the episode with Jeremy Bloom and Henry uh, from DiscoverOrg. I think you get a lot of great lessons on failure there, as well as what it like uh, to be a 23-year-old CEO and out raising money and feeling like you you don't quite know everything that's going on. And and um, we're all on a quest for knowledge. So I hope you're getting it here on Demand Gen Radio. Thanks for tuning in. That'll wrap this episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. <laughs>